All right, well, welcome to Sunday Night Bible Study. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord God, that you care for us in such a wonderful way. That, Lord, you would desire that all should be saved and none perish. And, and we thank you that you died on a cross for us, dear Jesus. We thank you that, that you imputed to us your righteousness and took our sin upon yourself. And, Lord, most of all, we're thankful that you rose from the dead and conquered death, that you gave us victory and the hope of not only eternal salvation but the resurrection. So now we ask that you to open up your word to us and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 tonight. And uh, as we go through the text tonight, uh, I I love this story. And if you were here in the morning, oh, by the way, I forgot one more announcement. Uh, where, where are you? Tallulah. I just want to welcome Tallulah to the Sunday night worship team. So she was over here. So, yeah. So she's in the youth group, and uh, it's just great to have her up here. So I forgot to, I always try to welcome when it's your first time. So, all right. So uh, we are in Luke 24. You, if you were here this morning, we're going to be actually going through the same text, just a little bit different, adding some things into it. Uh, but uh, first, before we get into the, the main part of the text, we're going to be looking at these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But I want to start actually in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 because this is what's setting the whole purpose uh, of the conversation on the road. And it says this, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And so what's happening here is the Jews would take care of a body. They had an embalming process. And when they would bring the, the, the body into a tomb, they would continue going and uh, taking care of the body, putting spices upon the body in such a way that, that after uh, the body and the flesh had all decayed, they would gather the bones and put them in boxes called ossuaries. And that was just a, a normal practice for the Jews. And so we know from the other gospels, the women said, well, who will roll away the stone for us? That was one of the questions as they were approaching the tomb that morning. Well, it says, uh, verse 2, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did, uh, uh, and they did not. Uh, sorry. Then they went in, did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, "Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen." Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And so this is how uh, Sunday morning, early in the morning, starts out these women on the way to the tomb. They are the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's interesting because we're going to see today that these two travelers, on the, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they actually don't believe what the women came back and reported to their own embarrassment, actually. But as they come into the tomb to take care of the body, we see that God over and over is sending messengers during this resurrection, even Jesus himself saying, 
hey, we told you about this. We prepared you for this. This was going to happen. Now, I know you and I struggle at times with faith. Uh, I always think about that passage in when uh, Jesus was healing that demon-possessed boy, and he talks to the father, and the father says, I believe, just help me with my unbelief. And that's a beautiful statement, actually, because we all struggle at times with belief, and we even see that those who we hold in high regard, the women uh, who cared for the body of Jesus, the disciples, all this number, they struggled even at times with belief. But God met them where they were at, and he, and he refuses to leave them there. He actually brings them with him. But notice this beautiful verse where it says, why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, some people still do that. Some people still look for life among dead, the dead. Uh, they, they look to dead things or dead individuals for truth. And, and the Bible says that we have this living God, the living God, the, the one who's risen from the dead, the creator of all things, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Now, certainly we can say we, there is wisdom to be learned from those who have gone before us, but the problem is, is when we start submitting ourselves and giving ourselves over to the dead, and I'll tell you right now, uh, it, Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. All of the gurus that the world religions are based around are dead. But except Jesus Christ, the living God. He's the only one who's conquered death and is alive. Well, that brings us to today's uh, story that we really want to get into. Starting, Skip down to verse 13. Because we're going to see these two disciples, and I, I totally see myself with these two disciples. Uh, even the way they approach everything, I feel like uh, I, would, I would be right there and Jesus would say these words to me. So verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now when it says that same day, it's talking about the same morning that the empty tomb is discovered. Remember the empty tomb is discovered? The women return. Uh, they tell the disciples about what happened. Peter and John take off. John and his gospel kind of lets everybody know that he beat Peter to the tomb. He's faster. And uh, they found nobody. They go back and say, we don't see Jesus, okay? It's that same day that these disciples leave to travel back to Emmaus. Now, there's nothing notable about these disciples. They're not part of the 11. They're, we've never met them before. We have one named in this passage. His name is Cleopas, and we probably only have his name because he was the one that Luke most likely interviewed, and that's why we have this story of what happened, this account of what happened. But uh, these are not uh, part of the 11. They're not apostles. They're just people who believed in Jesus. But look at what they're doing. They're leaving Jerusalem and going back to Emmaus, or going toward Emmaus, this seven-mile journey. Well, Verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they, they did not know him. Uh, so as they're talking and reasoning together, we're going to see that Jesus in the very next verse says, what are you talking about as you walk in are sad? These individuals, these two disciples are traumatized. They're in shock. And, and we could 
absolutely identify with the position that they're in because I'm sure there's been times where tragedy has struck, where you've dealt with trauma, unexpected tragedy or trauma, and, and the first thing you do is just start talking about it. You, 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 uh, you gather around with people and you talk about uh, how you didn't see it coming or what happened. It could be a car accident. It could be a death of a loved one in the family. But I think we've all been in some experience where we continue talking about whatever it is we saw. And that, that's all we can talk about because we're trying to reason with it and converse about it and deal with it. And that's exactly what these men are doing as they travel to Emmaus. But we see that the Lord drew near them. And that's something I want to point out to you. The Lord seeks after and draws near to those who are humble in heart, those who seek him. And, and we see that these men are on their way back to Emmaus. They're leaving town. They're getting out. They're defeated. They, they're dealing with this tragedy and the loss of their, their hopeful Messiah. And they're headed back, but we see Jesus draws near. And it says their eyes were restrained. Uh, and the idea there is that it, very possibly from the Greek we could say that it was... Uh, that God had had done this purposefully. Uh, now, it could be that, that God had done it purposefully, that he didn't allow them to see him. Could just be that they're, they don't recognize the resurrected Christ. Uh, we know that other times when Jesus appeared to people, people didn't recognize him at first. And it also could be that they're so in their unbelief that they don't even recognize him. Now, it could be that. It could be all three. But nonetheless, we know that they were restrained uh, from seeing him And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? Now, what Cleopas is saying is that everyone knows what happened. Uh, This was everything going on. Jesus of Nazareth was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. And, and you have to remember, it's not just the Jews of Jerusalem that know about this. All the Jews from the known world come back for Passover. Passover was a huge congre- uh, congregating time from all over the known world for Jews. And, and this was the big event. Uh, essentially, Cleopas, it, it's like saying to someone, it, I don't know what 9-11 is. What's 9-11? You know, and, and, and if someone didn't know what 9-11 is, we would assume that they must have, uh, be, they must be too young to know what 9-11 was. They, they, they just didn't, didn't even, weren't even around with 9-11. But you and I who witnessed 9-11, we, that day is seared. Each and every one of us know exactly where we were when that event happened. Um, or, or like someone saying, what virus are you talking about? You know, everyone knows, the whole world knows. <laughs> um, and, and so when Cleopas is saying, what are you talking about? How do you not know these things that have happened in these days? Uh, now, I find this really ironic. And I, I think the, the question is pretty ironic. And I'm sure it becomes a, a laugh, a something humorous for the disciples in the future. Because Jesus is the one who is most intimate with the details of what happened and all those things. Jesus is the only one who's 
truly in the know of all the events, right? Jesus is the one who's actually endured the cross, the torture, uh, scorned the shame. Jesus has also been the one who's risen from the dead. He intimately knows all the events. But Cleopas is like saying, but how can you not know these things? And, and I know later on the disciples are going to be sitting around and saying, Cleopas, remember how you asked Jesus if he knew what was going on? Uh, I, I could just see them laughing about this in the future and it being somewhat humorous a, as they talk about it. But for now, Cleopas is saying, how could you not know? And that's an important idea with the crucifixion of Christ. It is undisputable in history that Christ was indeed crucified. And actually, when you dig even into the resurrection, the only real, uh, uh, the only strong explanation for the resurrection, other than the fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, is that he was an alien and just went back to another planet. You can decide what the most reasonable explanation is there. Verse 19 says, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was the, a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and, one of the, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So as we read this uh, account from these two disciples, we see a couple things here. One, they were highly hopeful that Jesus was Messiah. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, they recognize him as a prophet mighty indeed. And, and, and word before God. And so they recognize that he's not just a regular man. He was doing miracles. We witnessed this. He was mighty in, in word. He was mighty in deed. Uh, we, we, we saw all these things. More than that, we know who condemned him. The chief priests and rulers, they delivered him over to the, to the Gentiles and condemned him to death and crucified him. And look at verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. What we see here is these disciples feel totally defeated. They, they were hoping, they had put everything on the fact that Jesus was Messiah. And because he was crucified, they felt like, I, I guess we were wrong. I guess we were wrong to put our hope in Jesus. Well, of course, they're totally misunderstanding the situation. But, but they're in shock, they're grieving, They've lost hope. They, they don't believe the testimony of the women. Look at that. It says, not only that, it's the third day, which is interesting because I believe that they had some idea that something was supposed to happen on the third day, but all they found was an, a missing body, an empty tomb. And you, you ask yourself the question, what were they expecting? Uh, certainly, whatever was happening 
in their minds, they didn't see it all put together. And we have the, the benefit of hindsight looking back and going, oh, yeah, look at this. How could you miss this? Uh, we, we see all the pieces fall together and get put together. And we go, yeah, of course this is what Jesus was talking about. But they were expecting something different. And they feel that they've lost all hope. And I don't know if you've been in a place where you've been in shock and grieving, where you feel like you've lost hope. Or where you, you, you have trouble believing the testimony of others. But listen to me. I want you to know that this, this, to, this evening as you're here with us today, that there is a reason why God has brought you here today. And you might say, well, I brought myself or a, a friend brought me. Well, listen, I'll tell you this right now. The Lord Jesus wants to meet you here. He wants to give you that hope and that comfort and meet you in your grief and, and, and meet you where you're at. So, so look at what Jesus, as, as they go on, they say that we don't, more than that, women found the tomb empty, and then others went, that's John and Peter, and they, 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 were, they didn't see Jesus, there was no body there, so we're headed back home, we're done, we're going home, and uh, now we see Jesus speak to them. Verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, um, we will stay on verse 25. Oh, foolish ones, and slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now listen, I can identify with what's happening here. Because there are times in my life where I am foolish and slow in heart to believe. Listen, as Jesus confronts their ignorance, and their unbelief. I know we might say like, well, isn't Jesus kind of being rude here? Well, not really. He's speaking truth to them. They're not understanding. They're foolish and they're slow in heart to believe. Now, it would definitely be rude if, but I mean, Jesus could do it because he's perfect. But if he said, oh, you're foolish and slow in heart, I'm out of here, I'm done with you guys. But he doesn't do that. He says, you're, you're foolish, and by the way, this word foolish is not saying you fool, like in, earlier in Matthew when Jesus says, if a man says you fool in his heart, he's guilty of committing murder in his heart. Uh, the, the word is different here. Uh, but it's the idea that you're dull, that you're not, you're not thinking too well. You, you're, you're not putting it all together. There are times in our lives where we're dull. We're, we are very dull about something. And, and if you've never been dull, well, congratulations. I, 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 you're, you're wonderful. But I know for me, there's been times where I've been like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> Why didn't I put that together? <laughs> that was, uh, but, but there are times when we're just dull and we're slow and hard to believe. And certainly, there are times in our lives where God is calling us to believe, but we're saying, I believe, just help me with my unbelief. I'm having a hard time understanding this. I'm having a hard time believing who you are, God. Well, don't worry. Jesus is going to take them slow through it. Verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This was the most awesome Bible study you could have ever partaken in. I wish we could have been there. Uh, I love that Luke just says, and he did this, and we're like, ah. You know, J. Vernon McGee said uh, th- this passage inspired him, that his goal would be to look for Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. 
and certainly we should be doing that. I know that a lot of churches don't teach the Old Testament at all, uh, but we should be teaching the Old Testament. Uh, when, I, when I travel and am in the mission field, especially in the, the, among the Sunnis and the refugee camps, one of the things I find is that the Old Testament has just as much power as the New Testament. A lot of times missionaries approach things where with all, all they need is the New Testament, but see, they're failing to understand that this is the Word of God. You can find Christ just as much in the Old Testament as you do in the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament is Christ more revealed, but, uh, but we see that there's a hunger and a thirst for the Old Testament too because it gives the foundation for everything coming in the New Testament. Well, and of course, obviously with, with these disciples, all they have is the Old Testament at this point. But, but notice it says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Listen, Jesus well prepared his disciples for this. He, he, he did not uh, go and uh, he was not killed without preparing the disciples. Matthew chapter 12 verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So right away in the beginning of Matthew, Jesus says, Hey, I, I'm going to be three nights and three three days and three nights in the the grave in the heart of the earth. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the grave for this amount of time. And and most of us wouldn't read Jonah and think about the well and go, oh, this was definitely given to us so that we could understand Jesus more full. But here Jesus lets us know that this is going to happen. Well, I understand that might be a little bit of vague prophecy that Jesus gave. So let's go on. Matthew sixteen twenty one. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This, this text happens right after Peter was asked the question. Uh, basically, Jesus said, oh, who do the crowd say I am? They said, well, some say you're a prophet. So, uh, some say you're a good teacher. Uh, some might even say you're Messiah. Well, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Christ. That's who you are. And Peter makes this incredible confession. And, and then Jesus says this. Of course, Peter says, no, no. <laughs> and, and he gets kind of uh, correct, rebuked for saying, Lord, no, you can't die. Because we know that that was always the plan. But, but right after that confession, Jesus very descriptively explicitly lays out what will happen uh, in Matthew 16, 21. So we might say that, okay, that's enough, but it's not enough. So go to Matthew 17, 22 through 23. It says, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Get ready, guys, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. So they clearly understood what was going to happen because they responded with sorrow. As Jesus is revealing what's going to happen, get ready, I'm about to be betrayed, and he shares with them what's going to happen, they, they respond with exceedingly sorrow. Um, they're filled with sorrow. Matthew 20, verse 17, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, 
Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Verse 19, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. This is when they're actually on the road headed to Jerusalem, and and they, they are headed for the Passover, and Jesus pulls the disciples aside and says, this is going to happen, and he explicitly lays it out again. Well, that might still not be enough, because Matthew 26, 31, the night of the, the Last Supper, the Passover meal, the night that he is going to be betrayed and arrested, Jesus says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. That's where I'll be. Okay, I'm going to go before you. So Jesus again explicitly said, this is going to happen. I'm going to be killed. I am going to be crucified. I am going to raise from the dead. But, you know, they weren't ready to believe it. They're slow. They're dull. They're foolish and slow of heart to believe. So as Jesus laid this out, ought not the Christ have suffered? He goes from Moses to Malachi, that's Genesis to Malachi, through all the prophets, expounding. Expounding means to interpret, to, to give plain understanding of the Scripture. This is what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Every time we teach the Word, we want to expound the Word of God. But So Jesus starts expounding to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And there's a lot. There is a lot in Scripture about Jesus Christ, and I wish we had the time tonight to start expounding some of this, uh, but, and we'll, we'll give you a little bit more than uh, what we gave this morning, uh, of course, because we're doing it more of a Bible study format tonight. But uh, first thing I want to say is right in the very book of Genesis, you know, First Peter tells us that before the foundations of the, the earth, Christ was chosen. That, that it was decided before God ever created that Christ was going to die for man and redeem man for his sins. That's awesome because this was always part of the plan. It wasn't a reactive plan. It was the sovereign God deciding how to redeem his creation, the people of his heart. Well, in Genesis, when, Adam and, uh, when the man and the woman sinned, we know that, that the consequence for sin was death, the Bible tells us. That, that, that if you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and, of good and evil, you will surely die, God told uh, the man and the woman. Well, the woman took of the fruit. She was tempted. She gave some to her husband who was with her before we start blaming the woman for everything. He was right there keeping his mouth shut going, what's going to happen? And, um, and, and so they took it. They ate it. Then they find themselves hiding, and finally God speaks to them and starts giving them the consequences. And the consequences of sin, right there, as God is giving the consequences for their rebellion, we learn that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And last time I was in biology class, the woman didn't have a seed. That was the man's responsibility. And, uh, and so we, we see the, 
just a little bit of the virgin birth already coming. We see that there's going to be a redeemer born from the woman, and that woman, that redeemer is going to crush the serpent. But more than that, after after God tells uh, the man and the woman what will happen as a result, and that they're being removed from the garden, we see the most amazing thing. It's it's what Adam actually names his wife. I know we're used to in Sunday school always calling them Adam and Eve, but he actually didn't name his wife until after the consequences of sin. And after those consequences, we read that he called her Eve. That means life. Now, I don't know about you, but if my wife got me kicked out of the garden, or if I was blaming her, let's just say, uh, if I was blaming my wife for getting booted from the garden of God, I don't know that I would name her life at that point in time, right? Adam knew something. And of course, we know that, that she was going to bear children, and we knew that she was going to eventually bear this redeemer. But Adam knew something, and he names his wife life. We'll go further on in Genesis. We have the, the call of Abraham out of the land of Ur to become a people of God and a promise of God. And of course, from Abraham came Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob, from Jacob who gets the name Israel, we receive the Redeemer. But Abraham is tested by God and Abraham is called to offer his son, his only son, Isaac, and he's going to do it on the mountain where God shows him. So Abraham's called to do this offering and he, the next, very next morning, Abraham gets the wood, he puts on the donkey, he gets everything ready to go, he gets Isaac, and they take three men with them on their way to sacrifice Isaac. Anybody remember how many days they travel? Three. That's right. Three days they travel. Uh, I wonder if that's a coincidence. Three, oh, I don't know. Let's just go on with the story. They, they get to the mountain of the Lord, which is in the mountains of Moriah which was the place of the Jebusites at that time. Now that mountain of the Lord, Mount Moriah, in the New Testament we call it Golgotha, the place of the skull, or Calvary. Oh, wait, there might be some correlation there. And, and there, there I, uh, Abraham was to offer his son Isaac. They climb up to the mountain. Isaac, who's probably a teenage or a young man, uh, is bound he binds, get, Abraham binds him up, and, and of course Isaac says, hey, wh- where's the ram? Where's the, uh, the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide the lamb. Oh, that's interesting. God, uh, Abraham puts Isaac down. He's about ready to kill Isaac, and the Lord stops him. And, and then a ram is caught in the thicket. That's the offering made. And the text says, to this day... It is said, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, Jehovah Jireh, that God will provide. Wow, all that so that you and I might understand that there is a coming Redeemer Messiah who who God, the Father, will put to death on behalf of us, that he'll provide. Psalm 22 predicts all the events of the crucifixion. Isaiah 53, of course there's Isaiah 50, Micah 5.1, Psalm 41. Uh, just, I'll, I'll lay these out real quick for you because we're losing time. Micah 5.2, that he'd be born of a virgin. 
that he'd, uh, he would be betrayed by a close and trusted friend, Psalm 41.9. He would be bit, beaten, spit on, and have his beard pulled out, Isaiah 50, verse 6, Micah 5.1. The soldiers would gamble for his clothing, Psalm 22.18. He would be crucified, Psalm 22. And pierced, Zechariah 12.10. His death would be vicarious, that's Isaiah 53. He would rise from the dead, Isaiah 53.10, and Psalm 16.8 through 11. And it goes on and on and on throughout the scriptures. I'm telling you, this would have been the most awesome Bible study. And we're talking about prophecies given thousands, hundreds of years prior to Jesus ever uh, being born of the virgin. John MacArthur said this, the Christ of gospel history did not invent himself, nor is he the invention of some people in the first century. He is the unmistakable fulfillment of of divine prophecy, and yes, he is. But you know what's amazing about him on the road to uh, Emmaus is that he seeks out these disciples, he meets them where he's at, he teaches them, and then we're going to see he has fellowship with them. The divine fisherman, Jesus Christ, is he sought them, he taught them, and he caught them. And, and maybe he's doing that for you today even. Well, uh, we see that in verse 28, as it goes on, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. I love this passage because the Lord is such a gentleman with us. The Lord does not push himself on us. What I mean by that is we see Jesus walking with these disciples, giving this incredible revelation of the Old Testament, this Bible study, as they walk these seven miles. Then when they get to the village of Emmaus, he acts, he's prepared to keep going. He's intending to keep going. Uh, the, here it says indicated in the New King James, uh, but, but he intends to just keep walking. And these disciples say, Oh, look, don't go. They, in fact, it says they constrained him. Look at what they say to him. Abide with us. Stay with us. Be with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And so what did Jesus do? He stayed with them. That should be the invitation of each and every one of us with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we interact with him. Jesus wasn't going to push himself on you. He's prepared to keep going if you don't want him. But if you say, oh, Lord, abide with me, abide in my heart, be with me, because Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door and invites me in, I will come in and have fellowship with him or eat with him. I'll abide with him, with you, if you invite me in. It, it, our, our, our God is so gentle and kind with us, never, never looking to force himself upon us, but if we want him, if we invite him in, he surely will stay and abide. This, I'll tell you right now, if you have never asked the Lord Jesus to abide with you, I want to encourage you to do it because there is something so special about God when he comes in and he abides in our, our lives that he transforms us. In fact, verse 30, it says, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
this simple act of taking bread and breaking it, all of a sudden they go, whoa, <laughs> wait, it's Jesus, and he's gone. What? <laughs> Cleopas, why did you ask him those questions, you know? Verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Did not our heart burn within us? I said this morning that this is wonderful. This is holy heartburn. And it's a good kind of heartburn. It's the heartburn you want, not the heartburn you don't want. This is when, when God reveals himself so in Scripture that, that there is a stirring within you that you not only know it's true, but, but you seek more of it. This is what happened to me when I first became a Christian, when I realized what Jesus Christ had done for me, that he had paid the price for me, that he had died on my behalf on that cross, that he had risen from the dead, giving me victory over death, the promise of eternal life, the hope of a future, of, of, of glory. Uh, I remember falling down. My heart was ignited, uh, so to speak, and I remember falling down just, just thanking God because it was a period of my life where every time I would open up the Bible, I just couldn't stop reading. It was like I had an insatiable hunger for the Word of God at that moment as I was feeding on the Lord God. And, and it was just a, an amazing time, that holy heartburn. And of course, certainly even today as we uh, are studying God's Word, we often receive that inspiration from the Spirit of God. But, but they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? While we talked, and when it talks about the heart in, in Jewish culture, we're talking about the locus of the being, the center of the being, the, that, that mind of the individual, the, 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 what they know to be true and, and what they understand to be true. And, and so they're saying, we, we understood this to be true, but look at what they did. They, they, remember, it's late. They, they wanted to have dinner, but when they realized who Jesus was, what did they do? They rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Hey, we, we got to get back to Jerusalem. Wait, weren't you going home? Weren't you defeated? Weren't you sorrowful? Weren't you, didn't you lose all hope? Not anymore. We just met the resurrected Lord. We're going back and we got to tell everybody. Look at what happens. They rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. Now, they, they hurry back. Now, the 11 and those who were with them are saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So basically they hustle on back to Jerusalem. They probably get back sometime around 9 or 10 at night. They're so excited. Guys, you, you got to hear what happened to us. Well, no, forget that. Guess what? Jesus appeared to Simon. Oh, man, we ran back to tell you that Jesus is alive. But, but more than that, Jesus actually walked with us for seven miles and told us all about the Old Testament and every place he's at. And, and, uh, and you just see this wonderful moment where the Lord is revealing himself to each and every one. Listen, they weren't just going to go back defeated anymore. They were transformed by being, walking with Jesus on those in that time. And I'll tell you this right now. There is nothing that gives us more of a clean conscience Nothing that can for, let us know that we're forgiven more of sin. Nothing that can give us more hope of a future than walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was young, 
I believed in Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus. And uh, I believed, uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good. I, I, I had heard all the things about Jesus. But I'll tell you, as I've walked with Jesus, there is no one more real and genuine than the person of Jesus Christ. As I've, I, as I've had, walked in relationship with him, as I've learned from him, oh, does my heart burn. And just as I understand the love and the grace that he offers us, and I really hope that today you won't leave here without knowing the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might start walking with him too on that road, that he might transform you as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for this night, and we thank you that we are here because you have indeed risen from the dead. Lord, we thank you that we have a hope and a future, and as your word says, if you have not risen, we are to be pitied more than all. But God, you have indeed risen, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you've conquered death, Lord, that you've forgiven us of sin. And if you're in this room right now and you've never asked the Lord to abide with you, do it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, abide with me. Stay. Stay. Be with me. I want to learn from you. I want you to teach me, Lord. F- forgive me of my sin. I'm, I'm dull. Of, I'm foolish sometimes and dull of, uh, of heart and slow in heart to believe. And Lord, I believe. Abide with me. I want to follow you. Thank you for rising from the, gra- the, the grave and uh, giving us the promise and the hope of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to bless this time as we finish worshiping you. May you accept our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Only man-made things in heaven, right? The scars of Christ. Well, we're glad you joined us. Don't forget, we have dinner waiting for you over in the fellowship hall. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I, hope, I pray this week you'll experience holy heartburn. God bless you and keep you. He is risen. Amen.